The material in this podcast is for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should not rely on this information to make any medical-related decisions. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a doctor-patient relationship, and nothing should be taken as specific medical advice for any given person. I hope you enjoy Marked Medicine. Hey, Mark. I have a question. Okay. How many times do you think I've asked you that question? Do numbers go that high? I doubt it. And from that concept, the idea of marked medicine was born with Dr. Mark Brulte. And with Amanda Brulte, my favorite nurse practitioner. And you're now listening to Marked Medicine. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mark Medicine. I know I say this every week, but I'm really proud to have our guest today. We have Miss Patty Elliott, who has a wonderful story of breast cancer survival. Hello, Patty. Hi, how are you? And we have Miss Lou Hennessy, who is instrumental with the Passionately Pink of Coffee County organization to raise money for people that are fighting breast cancer. How are you doing, Lou? I'm doing great. And this this topic this week is really gigantic. It's I did not really understand the enormity of the problem until I started reading the statistics. Of course, I see breast cancer patients frequently in the ER and clinics and uh but the the numbers are are stunning. There are about 300,000 new cases of invasive breast cancer every year in women in the United States of America and about 55,000 new cases of ductal carcinoma in situ or what they call stage 0 breast cancer. It's now the most common cancer worldwide. There's 2.3 million new diagnoses every year, and about 685,000 women die yearly in the world. It has passed lung cancer as the most common cancer. It's the second leading cause of cancer death in the in United States females. Every two minutes in the United States, a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer. And about 44,000 women, unfortunately, die yearly in the United States of breast cancer. One in eight women over a lifetime gets breast cancer. Um, and not to downplay this, but just just shy of 3,000 men yearly in the United States also get breast cancer. And there is good news. These are all shocking statistics. Um, the overall cancer, uh, breast cancer survival rate at five years of all stages is about 91% now. And realize in the late 1970s, it was just... Uh, over 74%. So a big jump. Um, for localized breast cancer, and this is why screening is so important, the five-year survival rate is 99%. And for regional breast cancer, it's 86%. And for distant disease, metastatic cancer, it's still 30%. That was kind of shocking. Again, advancements in therapy. Uh, the, um, the, which brings up a big topic, breast cancer screening. Breast cancer screening lowers the overall death rate about 26%. So screening does work, okay? Um, it allows early detection is how it mainly helps because the earlier you can diagnose these cancers, the more curable they are. And about two-thirds of breast cancers are diagnosed at a localized stage, which yields a 99% five-year survival rate. Uh, screening consists of mammography, MRI, breast self-exam, breast exam by a healthcare practitioner. You can debate about how you should do these things, which you should do, but the concept is what's important here. Screening works. Screening helps with early detection, which leads to increased survival. So knowing all of that, you can see how gigantic of a problem this is, how it's going to impact. It will impact someone that everyone knows, perhaps even in their family. 
but certainly friends or coworkers or whatever. There's there's no way if one in eight women get breast cancer that everybody in the United States of America doesn't know somebody that had breast cancer. So this this problem is so enormous that uh, I'm just really, really, really thankful y'all came on to tell your stories and talk about it. So Patty, you are a survivor. Yes, I am. Six years now. Yes. I was diagnosed in 2017, around August, September, had been to my local, my, my doctor, my female doctor, and we went through that process and did not find anything there, which goes, you know, I don't know if it grows fast, but it's probably about a month or two months later, I went for my mammogram, and that's where they found the lump, and I honestly didn't even think I had, I didn't even think of breast cancer when they first called me and said we need to do some more testing did some more testing and definitely I had breast cancer first it was stage one then when they did my um, biopsies and when they actually went in took the lump out they also was determined then I went to stage 2b was because it had went into my lymph nodes and they took some lymph nodes out because of that and then I started treatment actually went to Savannah for an MRI on snow day. Remember when we had the big snow? <laughs> and Dr. Jaw, who was very good, and Mark helped me get with Dr. Jaw, and I have to say they were real good with me. But he sent me to Savannah for an MRI, and that was when we went. So thankfully, I had a husband that can drive in the snow. So we got the MRI done, came back, and I started my um, chemo treatments. First one was in Waycross over there. At that time. So y'all leaving us and going off to Ohio had its benefits is what you're telling me? Yes, actually. <laughs> which I was panicking. I could not, because one thing in Ohio, they have snow plows. They didn't have any snow plows going to Savannah. And, you know, Savannah got, they got the most snow. They got way more than we did because we was all mad about that. So, but yeah, we went over there that morning. And by the time I got through with the MRI, um, we come out, everything was white. And it was a long, it took us about five hours to get back. Normally a two and a half hour drive. And so that's just one little problem. Mm -hmm. Driving in the snow in your particular (laughs) instance, which is very unusual in South Georgia. Very unusual. But the complexity of treatment, diagnostics, surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, all of these, these therapies at least in small town South Georgia, are typically in different places. Mm-hmm. It costs money to get there. It costs money to stay there. You have to have gas. You have to have somebody drive you if you're sick. You know. You have it, to eat while you're it, out of town. Mm-hmm. Which I know you've actually been rather quiet about the problems you've had in the past because you know you you realize how lucky you were in exactly. some ways, and so. Tell us about some of these difficulties that you first, that you see other women having. And well, one of the things was that first of all, you know, you don't know anything. And I'm not going to say that I didn't know anything. I just didn't. I had no clue. Um, they do the PET scan. Well, I had to ha- go have that done. I had some great friends that went with me to get PET scans. Actually, went with me for the first biopsy or something because John would be out of town, and he couldn't. You know, he did try to schedule everything. But it's so good to have friends that would step up and say, I can go with you. I'm not doing anything that day, and I can go with you and just drive you. And just to, you know, because you really have no clue 
what you're getting into. When they go in back there and tell you to take you know, your, your top off, you're like, okay, what are we fixing to do? There's a lot of procedures that you just kind of blindsided by, but it helps to have somebody go with you and, and be there. That kind of brings up two points in my mind. You know, one, I know we've said this multiple times, but the impact that having a friend can have on your mental health, Mark's talked about that some. The statistics are actually pretty impressive. You know, just the benefit of having a friend when you're going through a hard time, it really is huge. It, it is because, and positive friends. Right. I tried not to Google, but I did Google. You know, We all do. We do Google. And but you have to look at the positive things. But positive friends, just not being negative, right? And and making because you have to have some humor about it, right? I mean, on some of the procedures I had, I'm like, no, no man could have handled this. Okay, I'm sorry, Mark. <laughs> that's right. I'm, I'm that's right. certain that's true. Because I asked the man when they was fixing to do it, and we won't go into that, but it was to put the dye in, and uh, I said, "Is this going to hurt?" He said, "Yes." I thought, "Oh my God." <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's it's just, it was nice to have people there, you know, re- you know support you and everything. Right. Well, and the other thing that I thought of is that, you know, you said you didn't know anything and you were having to ask questions. And I think that's one thing as healthcare providers we kind of need to remember is that, you know, and I'm not saying people treated it like another day at the office, but let's don't treat it like it's another day at the office. No matter what you're doing with your patients, we need to be mindful of the fact that this they may not be medical. Maybe their mama may not have been a nurse. And and I was just gave a book, a, a binder book, and I get it home and I start looking at them. Going, and it and I didn't know anybody then. And it would have been now I can help. I can help people that if they want to talk about. It. There are some things that you're going to go through because of the medication that you're going to have reactions. Praise the Lord! I never threw up. I was nauseous. But one thing that we did just we wrote down every four hours. I took the medicine just like that. But you also, you gave this book, and unless you've been there, you're like, you know, kind of what does this mean? Like you said, it does help if the caregiver is, can give you a little bit more instructions. Because we've never, I've never had breast cancer. Right. I mean. And so the whole process from when you were diagnosed until you finished all of your chemo radiation, that, that, what was the length of time with all of that? Um. 2018, 2019. I think I finished up around 2019 in June, July. So almost two years. Yes. So what a process. It certainly is a process. It's not a point in time. It's not a diagnosis and you're either cured or you're not cured. It's nothing like that. It is. I went to, thankfully, um, Dr. Jaw's office was here in, in Douglas. And then they also opened up the facility in Fitzgerald where I got a lot of my treatments over there. Mm-hmm. So that was a short drive for me. And, um, but if you have to go, depending on your doctor, if you do have to end up going to Savannah or somewhere like that, that's a huge expense. And even going to Fitzgerald, um, most of the times when they give you chemo, they give you something to relax you, but they don't want you to drive. So you definitely need somebody to drive, and mostly, you know, that's that's a big thing is having somebody to go with you. So dozens and dozens of appointments. I went to start with. I went every two weeks, about every maybe the third week. I can't remember exactly because you would have your chemo, and that would be your bad weekend, and then you would have the next weekend. You would feel much better. 
And that's the point where, you know, you, you feel like you can do something. Well, then you'd come around and the next Thursday would be your, but they always had, you had, you had to go to the doctor to get your blood checked to make sure that everything was good and you could have the next round of chemo. So it was about every two weeks to start with, if I remember correctly. And then after that, when it kind of lengthened out, but you're looking at least, at least every three weeks, two to three weeks. And radiation was. I drove to I drove to Waycross for five weeks every day. And I, I I was able to do that on my own, thank goodness. But still, there's a lot of people that couldn't have done it and do need help, especially money to go. We were blessed. My husband has a great job, had great insurance. But I, I still had a lot of good friends that were there just to help help us through it. And there are some patients that I've seen that maybe they don't have a car. You know, maybe they don't have a, a family support system that's able to take off of work and drive them. So, sure, they can arrange medical transport, you know, if you do it a certain number of hours in advance and right. get on your phone and you do all this. But that's not free still, you know, because we're not talking about people who, you know, are over the age of 65. and always have Medicare, you know, a lot of them don't. And so they're still having to pay for transport and that's expensive. It's very expensive. Um, in the end, when I finally, I, in the beginning, and I actually did not have any clue. I was almost scared to open the insurance claims, the EOB. I was like, cause you know, you hear of people having to sell stuff and that is real. But fortunately we did have a, we had really good insurance, but in the end, I think it was right around $500,000 for my chemo. And we did pay out of pocket some, but nothing to what the average person, you know, if you, if you got don't have really good insurance. And then how does somebody afford, like you said, to go somewhere and to drive? Because it's not cheap driving. And every day when I did the radiation and going over to and we did we did some things in Waycross, but luckily I didn't have to travel far. That was a good thing. But like we said, anytime you travel, of course you've got the gas expenditures. But most of the time you have to eat. You know, mm -hmm. it's hard to go straight there and straight back. And you wow. want somebody to wait with you because it's your most of my when when I went to get the uh, infusions, you were looking at anywhere three to four hours, and that's that is very tiring on anybody. And if you really want to get a wide awakening, go to one of these places. I consider myself extremely lucky. I did very well with the chemo, with all of it. I did very well with the radiation. But when you walk in these facilities, there's a lot of people that are struggling. And that's why I've never been one to just come out and be boastful or, you know, because there's people that are not doing very well. And they do struggle with the medication and also went to financial part. And and you're right. So much of it is luck or fate yes. or whatever. You get diagnosed early enough to get proper treatment. You have adequate access to the treatment. You have a good enough insurance plan that can make it happen. It's just there's a lot of randomness involved. It, uh, it's, uh, it is daunting to face something like that. I can only imagine what I see every day. Um, so six years ago, and you recently had another scare. A tad. A, a tad of a scare. <laughs> had a, a lung mass, and mm -hmm. um, that was 
of course, the first thought that comes to your mind mm-hmm. is that I have a reoccurrence from the breast cancer. Um, with my breast cancer, it was estrogen related, estrogen positive. So the worst thing that I did, and there's some women that can do it, but they put me on a um, estrogen blocker drug. I could not take the drug. I tried. Um, I actually did better with, in my opinion, the chemo and the radiation. I got through that a lot better. But the estrogen blocker drug literally did me in. So, and Dr. Jaw, we talked about that, and especially with Tiffany. I wasn't trying to be a hero, but I had to live. And of course, when this came, that we found this mass, I'm like, oh my goodness, you know. But it's not relatable. Right. It so, was. It wasn't a recurrent disease. No. It was a. It was a new tumor and yeah. a very low grade pulmonary carcinoid, right. what they call typical carcinoid, and you actually had it cut out mm-hmm. just about three weeks ago mm-hmm. and clean margins. No spread anywhere. The lowest grade tumor it could possibly be, you're essentially cured. I mean, the, when you read about that tumor, it's basically called cancer in slow motion. So, hey, it was caught early enough yep. to cut it out. You had a great surgeon. Your your cancer clinic got you set up with all the right people, and here you go again. But yep. that should be the end of this one. Yes. <laughs> well, and I'm not trying to make light of it, Patty, but when you said you would have a bad weekend, and then you know your next weekend would would kind of be okay. How many barrel races did you win on that good weekend? <laughs> well, <laughs> I was riding diamond things. So. Well, and by the time this episode airs, I, I'm assuming that, I, I mean, I'm not sure if you'll be headed to the world show, but I, I mean, surely John and some of his horses will be headed there, right? I'm headed to the world show, but, <laughs> um, you know, the doctor, the lung doctor, he last words when he walked out was barrel racer, but yeah, I will be going to the world show. And I ran, um, I mean, it did help. It was, it was my therapy, and you would have. I mean, I would be first. The first couple of rounds of chemo really just, it just suck a punch, I and mean, it just takes everything out of you. And you know, if you're by yourself, or if you're having to do something, face other things. I didn't have. I mean, I don't have kids at home. I can't only imagine trying to have a household if a young person's trying to do something and they've got children. Well, children don't understand when you're sick. Your mommy don't want to get up. And, um, but my horses were my therapy. And so I continued to ride and, but now luckily it seemed like the horse shows would be, and I would, I remember riding at Snipesville as a, cause that was when we had the January show, the NBHA show, and I had had chemo like the week before and pulled it off. Yeah. Well, <laughs> racing horses while getting chemotherapy, that's impressive. <laughs> We just won't let the lung surgeon listen to this podcast. Okay? Nice. We just, we'll just block him somehow. We can certainly figure that out. But, uh, but you know, so it's hard enough to be physically sick and do these things. And then imagine, like you said, the people with young kids or the people with financial stress or everything. And that's where Lou and your group, which is the Alpha Theta chapter of Beta Sigma Phi, y'all run the Passionately Pink program here of Coffee County. Y'all raise monies for women with breast cancer. And so tell us a little bit about all that. Well, um, I appreciate you sharing, Patty, because that is so encouraging for women to listen to your story and, and get know you can get back to your life. And, and that's what it's all about when you're going through treatments for you and your family, because it, it affects your whole family when you're diagnosed with breast cancer. But listen to your statistics, Mark. Um, you know, one in eight, you hear that all the time. 
But with us in Body Sigma, it really has hit home because we usually have around 30 women in our group, and we have three women who have been diagnosed with breast cancer. So those statistics are true, and I'm sure that other other groups, they could count that same way, you know. Well, and Mark hasn't shared this yet, but Mark's mother had breast cancer, and thankfully, due to early screening and early diagnosis, was actually cured just with a needle yes this was yeah. you know when digital mammography first came out and yeah. they saw some funny looking calcifications and so they took her in and did a true cut needle biopsy of it and indeed it was i don't remember exactly the cell type or anything but um but at any rate they did a lumpectomy and it was gone that's how sensitive the digital memo was oh, to have picked yeah. it up and, and how so. how blessed we are that we had digital right. mammography, or ha- that we At have that it now. Time. Yes, yeah. I'm a big advocate of screening. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, it um, it just makes a tremendous difference, screening and early detection, as you were saying, because it can make make the difference. And uh, and as Patty was saying, when uh, she was diagnosed, she just kept going with what whatever. She didn't put it off. She didn't wait. Um, and in the second go round, you kept going. You know going to the doctor, getting it done, not putting it off, and that's what's so important. Um, as women, we are all so busy that we have a tendency to postpone it, and we put our uh, children and our, our uh, parents and our husbands, um, we put them first, and we'll, we'll put it off, but we've got to start putting ourselves first and taking care of our own health so that we are able to um, help and take care of our family. But... Um, we got started in this program back in around 2008, as I've said, when some of our members were diagnosed with breast cancer. And at that time, um, most of us didn't really know anything about breast cancer. We n- didn't really know people that had had it. And the only thing we had in the community at that time was the Relay for Life for the American Cancer Society when people would do that once a year. And um, and once that happened and they were diagnosed, we were like, we need to learn a little bit more about this. And... Uh, and we started um, uh, learning a little bit about it. And um, Beta Sigma Phi, as an international organization, uh, breast cancer was one of the projects that they supported. And so we got involved in raising money for the Komen Foundation and uh, for research for a cure um, at that point. And uh, as the years went by, then we took it to the community. And there were so many people that had family members that had been affected by breast cancer that they wanted to get involved with us. And uh, we, uh, uh, at some point around 2018, we established the foundation and opened the Pink House. And um, it's just um, spread. And the main thing that we're able to do now is actually help women uh, who are going through that diagnosis and need help financially and emotional support. That's such a big, important thing. And um, as Patty was saying, consistency that's the one thing I have so many patients say is have friends who are consistent and people that care about you and aren't going to forget about what you're going through because we all have a tendency sometimes when there's a sickness to contact them but it's so important to continue to uh, call them you don't have to know what to do but just to, to let them know you're thinking about them you know like she said let them know you're available to take them somewhere um, cook a meal for them, offer to babysit. Uh, but some of the things that we're able to do to help because there's such a need um, for people especially that don't have family members and so many women have to stop working 
and they were a big part of the breadwinning in their household. Um, we were able to provide funds for them for travel, for overnight stays. We started doing child care because so many of them, especially with young children that they're having to pick up, they can't do that after they've had surgery or they're going through their treatments, you know, and they've got the cord. So that's been a new thing that we added to our program, and it has made a big difference for women. Um, of course, education on screening and early detection is so important, as I said previously, and that's a big part of what we do. Uh, but helping women locally, um, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, we are doing that now, and uh, we want to get that word out. A lot of times we help with groceries, um, utility bills, rent, electricity, um, and so many of these people are trying to figure out how they're going to make it month to month. And it may not seem like a big deal, but when somebody doesn't know how they're going to pay their light bill or how they're going to buy groceries, you know, what we are doing is making a big difference. But again, we can only do that with help from the community. And we can only help the people that we have the funds to help. So, you know, women, uh, mothers, uh, can't imagine what that's like being worried about how you're going to take care of your children and your family and uh, women and just as Patty has said they don't really want to talk about it and share because they want to protect their families they don't want them to be worried about what they're going through you know about the pain that they're in or what the unknown is as far as treatments go and they don't know where they're going to wind up um, and uh, so there, there's such a need in Coffee County to uh, be a resource, and we need the community's help to be able to be there for these women. And I don't think you've mentioned it yet today, but tell our listeners how many survivors oh, um, you've worked with. Well, we, um, before, before um, COVID started, we had actually started doing a reception um, for survivors, and um, at this time on our list, since we started doing that, we have over 200 survivors that um, we've had the opportunity to meet when they come by the pink house and that um, have come to the reception. This year, we were actually able to start that reception back again um, where we could actually get together. And, and it's so encouraging for the people that have been newly diagnosed to be able to get together with them and see that they're doing well, just like Patty's doing well. And also an opportunity to ask questions because, uh, as she said, that you have so many things that you want to know about and you want um, suggestions for which doctor to go to or if you're unhappy with your doctor, you want a recommendation from someone on who else you might be able to go to. And oftentimes people don't realize that it's not just about the surgery. You know, you go through the surgery, um, if you have to have a mastectomy, and then you... Um, uh, then for many people, they want to go back and they want to have reconstructive surgery. That is uh, not nearly as easy as it sounds because uh, that, that is not as easy. It, it, there can be a lot of problems with it um, and a lot of infection. I mean, sometimes it goes well, but a lot of times it doesn't. And there's also issues if you have to have your lymph nodes removed, you know, with lymphedema, then needing to go through therapy for that. So it's ongoing you know it's not just radiation and chemo there's so many other things that these women are going through and uh one of the the ladies that, that i introduced you to or i think at the pink house but um 
I met her when her uh, son was three months old. And so we've been working together now for three years. He just turned three years old. And um, she's in the middle of, of trying to deal with the problems that she's had with her reconstruction surgery. So she lots of infections. Um, and there's another young mother that we're dealing with that same thing. And uh, it's just interesting at how many newly diagnosed young women that we're seeing that are around the age of 30. And, you, you know, usually when you're that age, you're not thinking about, I need to really be checking myself and making sure that there's... They usually don't even start mammograms until we're 40. Yeah. Around. Well, yeah. I'm glad y'all brought that up, though, because the recommendation has recently been lowered to mm -hmm. 40 um, if you don't have a family history of breast cancer. And it's because there are so many women being diagnosed earlier and earlier now. Yeah, I had read the other day between the ages of 35 and 55 or 26% of all female breast cancer diagnoses. And now, of course, most of those are skewed towards the 50, 55, mm -hmm. late 40s. But that's why they lowered it from 50 to 40 because you're missing a huge chunk potentially of people with a potential new diagnosis of breast cancer that you're not going to find if you don't do screening mammography starting at age 40. And that's the recommendation for women who don't have a family history Correct. of breast cancer, because if they have a family history of breast cancer, then it's 10 years before, before the age of the family related member. family member. Right. And so you're, you're, you said about 30 people right now y'all are assisting. So, you know, everything we've listened to, any, any catastrophe, that occurs uh, medically or whatever in a family. Um, in this case, we're talking about breast cancer diagnosis of potentially a mom uh, with young children. It's going to change not only that person, it's going to change the affect and the outcome of the entire family. Okay, no, no doubt it will, uh, even if the lady survives. And certainly that's what we're striving for, is for everybody to get diagnosed early and survive. But even if they survive, it's going to change that family. So that's the importance of what you're doing because it's going to change it, maybe not for the best, okay? So anything y'all can do to help alleviate some of the burdens along the way is so important to help get them through that process of change because clearly it's a process. You're talking about this lady that you met that had the three-month-old child that's now three. Patty's went on for two years. You know, these are months and years that we're talking about. I mean, this is really a, a process. It's, it's, well, it, and it can be agonizing. And right. so, I mean, the importance of what y'all are doing just can't be overstated. I mean, how wonderful that y'all are trying to help people through these horrible times, potentially. Well, and let you me still just... go for checks. I mean, even before this other situation, I still go. So they're always going to have breast cancer is always going to be in the back of your mind. <laughs> and I even sometimes got off the pages. Because you, once again, some things you have to get out of your mind and focus on the positive. And like, you know, but it's always going to be there. So if they can hear the positive, I think that helps a lot. That's right. Well, and I'm sitting here listening, you know, as a healthcare provider, having resources in the community like that, that what, you know, your group is doing, having resources like that. We're lucky in our community that we have these types of resources. I know not all, not all communities have these resources and being able to sit there and say, you know, to a woman, I've, I've not worked in this field. I'm just imagining, you know, I was more in pediatrics so I can speak from that standpoint, but, you know, being able to say to a patient, 
He's like, hey, there's a support group who can Mm -hmm. speak with you about the positives and there's survivors. And, you know, like you said, there's people who can share with you that they're, you know, there's hope and we can, we will support you and we'll help you financially. I mean, that's awesome. I mean. Yeah. And that's um, one of the things that we're so glad we can do this today because so many people in the community still don't realize that that at Passionately Pink, you know, that that's, that's what we're there for. Um, Sometimes people kind of think we're there and we're just selling t-shirts during the month of October, which of course that money is to help people with, but there's so much more to what we're doing and uh, trying to make that connection with the medical field that there is somebody that's in town that's available to help women. And also you had mentioned um, Coffee Regional has started a support, a cancer support group and they um, are meeting once a month. They actually have a meeting uh, Tuesday night again, but it's for all types of cancer. So, um, you know, lots of things going on um, in the community to, to help help these women. How do y'all typically get connected with the women that y'all help? Um, it's usually by referral from a friend, you know, somebody else that we've helped. Um, occasionally, it's someone that has stopped by the pink house, you know, during October, but Sometimes we do get some referrals from the oncology center, but generally it's because someone, you know, knows somebody else that we've helped. Um, I've had a couple of them, hospitals and groups call me from out of town because we do help women that are in the surrounding counties, but, but basically it's just word of mouth. And that, you know, I want everybody listening to donate. Yes. I mean, buy t-shirts. Yeah. Write a check. $50. When there's know, lots it, of stuff it, at the pink house. I mean, there's yeah. anything. There's sunglasses. <laughs> there's face stickers. There's socks. There's pom-poms. There's tutus. Patty, they have pink cowgirl hats. Oh, really? You and I would look good wearing those, girl. <laughs> we would. I mean, they have everything that you could possibly need to get all decked out in the pink and be supportive. Because also, don't they typically ask that everyone wear pink to our local right, football um, game? So the, right. October the 26th is Passionately Pink Day. And, um, uh, that, that's the day when we're pushing everybody to, to decorate themselves in pink from top to bottom and the businesses to do the same, to um, put a showing of support, you know, for those that have been diagnosed. And that's on Thursday, right? That's on Thursday. And then Friday is the foot the Trojan football um, pink out game that we have every year. So don't bother washing your shirt. Just buy another <laughs> one. There's there's like four or five different designs. Right, we have ev- we have everything you know because we say you know like, let's have fun with it and and uh, we we can use your donations but we have all types of fundraisers going on up at the Pink House um, at the same time but you know you can make your own little fundraiser and get together with your friends and and uh, uh, make a donation um, in memory or honor of someone so it's not it's not hard it only takes one person. Uh, in a little group to decide that they want to make a difference and come up with an idea. And generally that's what happens with the various people that, you know, are supporting us and doing fundraisers for us. But we can't do it by ourselves, you know, yeah. and what we can only help um, because the people in our community are reaching out and trying to help us. So for anyone listening, remind us, Miss Lou, when are they doing the um, clinical breast exams at Coffee Regional Medical Center? That's on um, the 24th, October the 24th, and um, that's on Tuesday, and it's from 4 to 8, and it's in the um, oncology office there next to Harvey's, kind of in that little nook between Harvey's and the mammography center. 
but um, it's a wonderful way to go and get spring because it, you just go in, you're not really having to wait, but you do have to call and make an appointment for that exam. And it's a physical exam. That's right. And then if there's any type of issue where they feel like you need a, a mammogram, they'll make those arrangements for you. And there have been times when they've had to do that. Right. So. so this will be a clinical breast exam where healthcare professionals are actually, you know, doing the, the yes. physical exam and yeah. um, it's free. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's free. It's free. Yeah. And if women actually, didn't I hear you say you've actually set appointments up for women? Yeah, yes, absolutely. When I'm at the pink house and I somebody walks in and, and I, you know, we tell them about the exams and we always ask, have you had your mammogram yet? Have you gone and had your spring this year? Or tell me when, when it's scheduled for, trying to encourage them. But if they say, oh, well, I'm interested in that, I usually go. And I say, well, let's call right now because I know if they walk out the door, they're not going to make That's that right. appointment. So if you're like myself <laughs> and you prefer to text, just swing by the pink house, get you a T-shirt. And while you're there, Miss Lou will call and make your appointment <laughs> for you so you don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> That's right. You just The main thing is get that appointment. That's right. Know, get that spring done. It's so important. Tell our listeners, what are some of the other fundraisers that are being done in our community that some of the proceeds will go to? Uh, yes, um, for, for the last few years, we've been um, uh, had the ability to do a uh, floral raffle, a donation um, from Dolores' florist. And what they do is they donate 12 arrangements. That's one arrangement per month for a year. And it's, you make a $5 donation and you get a ticket. And you, of course, can buy as many as you would like, but you get a beautiful arrangement that you can have sent to you or you can send it to someone else. Um, so that's a wonderful deal, and we thank them so much for doing that for us. And another thing is um, Boston Butts from Hogan Bones. And you can buy that ticket, and the ticket is good from now through the end of December. And um, you can it's a wonderful time to buy one because it's during the holidays, and you can you know take it home and eat it or... Uh, put it in the freezer and use it then as I said it the best part about it me is you get to go through the drive-through get your dinner and take right. it home and enjoy it so That's you right. don't have to worry about what you're going to cook for dinner and um, another thing that that we're doing that we started last year or Tidwell Carter at his place did is um one of the ladies there um is uh, she she raises donations through the line there where you do the drive-through and uh, this year, she books our theme is Be Aware. Each year, we have a theme, and she's going to dress up like a bumblebee, and she'll be outside uh, taking in donations. And last year, she her customers came, and they were so supportive. It was, it was such an important event, and we'll actually be there on Passionate Pink Day doing a live remote from 11 to 1, and we'll have our T-shirts there, and we hope to have people come out and see us. But we also challenge anyone else in the community that would like to come up with some type of special project to help us raise funds there's plenty of time to do that you know passionately pink day is october the 26th and um i want to remind people that everybody has a woman in their life that's important to them whether it's your your mother your daughter your sister your aunt and there shouldn't be anybody in coffee county who doesn't reach out and support this call because without women and without the things that they do to help us keep our lives together, we're in trouble. And we need to be there for them like they're always there for us and our families every single day. So please come by the Pink House. And we're open Monday through Thursday from 11 to 1.30. 
and 3.30 to 5.30, and on Fridays from 11 to 2. It's 311 Columbia Avenue next to the 911 Center, and we need your help because we can only do what we have funds do to support the women in our community. That's right. And for any of our listeners who are not local to Coffee County, you can, if you would like to send a donation Absolutely. in, you can certainly do that. We welcome that. We would love your support. You can also look at the model that Miss Lou's group has created and maybe create something similar in your own community for the women in your community if you don't have anything. Or if you start Googling and you realize there's an organization similar in your own community, make a donation to them because the women in your community need your help, just like the women in our community. Yes, I I encourage everyone to donate and the work y'all are doing, it's just so important. But I think, and we touched on it earlier, the emotional support and camaraderie that you build with these women, the relationships you build, they have to be so important. I'll just, I won't ever forget, Patty, when you texted me recently about this lung mass that was found and we were trying to find your old x-rays and and I just, I remember reading it and it was like a gut punch. You know, I'm a doctor. This shouldn't affect me. I do that every day. I find masses on just about every shift, you know. But no, this is Patty. This is my friend, you know. I mean, it's like, no, no, no. This game, I'm furiously trying to find old films and look. And, and so, you know, and that's just a fleeting peripheral bit of the horrible emotions that happen with these problems. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the women that y'all help appreciate it greatly. Tell me about some of the relationships you formed with some of them. Well, I'll I'll tell you um the, the, about um something that happened with a young lady who uh, who she's also a young mother and uh, I was so proud of her because she had applied um for a scholarship um through one of the breast cancer groups and it was for a retreat and uh and and the retreat she wound up getting to go to they kind of decide on what level your cancer is on where you're going to go and. She she got awarded this to go to the North Georgia mountains and go fly fishing, which she had never she'd never done that and didn't know anything about it. But I was so proud of her because it was so out um, of her comfort zone, and that that meant that she was going to have to drive up there, you know, and and go meet with people that she didn't know. But she was so excited because of what you just said, the support group because that's who was going to be there is other women that were diagnosed with breast cancer in the stage that she was in. And uh, it was one of those things where everything that could go wrong went wrong. You know, first we were we were trying to help rent a car for her, and that was the most complicated process there could have been. And she could have easily given up, but she didn't do that. We kept having to change arrangements, change arrangements. And then the day that she left to go, she was running behind because she was trying to make arrangements for her children. But she still left, you know, knowing she was probably going to be late getting there. On the way up there, it was storming the whole way, and she was not used to driving on the interstate by herself. But um, she, she told me, she said, several times I almost gave up and, and turned around, you know, and went home. But she just kept on going. And, uh, and then once she got there, you know, uh, she was up in the North Georgia mountains where the streams you know and rivers are just so beautiful and she had such a positive experience by being by having that opportunity but she could not have gone to that retreat um she did get the scholarship for the um overnight stays but she didn't have a way for gas food money you know we helped her get some clothes to 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 get the things that she needed so um you know 
that's so wonderful that we could provide that because of what the people in our community and surrounding communities you know have done so that's that's a one small story of the the many people that we see um and and again as you said wherever you are we'll take we'll we'll take your donations and we'll also be glad to help you uh, so uh, but the support uh people this month they just come and hang up they hang around there you know they want to be there they want to have the opportunity to talk to us and and it's a connection that you know you'll always have with these people and one thing we do each each year and patty you come by and get yours and we uh, make a special survivor shark for the survivors you know for that particular year and associated with our theme and and we send those shirts all over the country i've seen it patty you'll like it okay yeah yeah yeah. you'll like it so um Anytime we hear somebody who says, my sister or my aunt or somebody is a survivor, we're like, well, come by and get one or, and, or let us know and we'll mail it to them. And, um, and if there's somebody that has not made it by the pink house or didn't get the chance to come to the survivor's reception, please come by and get your T-shirt. And we were fortunate enough because we had the Be Aware theme and um, uh, someone donated um, some honey to us from Baxley. And as we know, honey has healing properties to it, especially if you're getting it from your area. So um, we've been able to give that um, honey uh, to the survivors as they came by and at the reception. So, you know, that just a little special thing that we're able to do for them because we're so happy to have that many people in our community that are doing so well. You know, when I called you the other day, Patty, we had already been to the Passionately Pink House, uh-huh. the, the Pink House, and uh, I said, well, it's actually Amanda's idea. Call you. <laughs> All good ideas. Let's be realistic. But, That's usually like, the way it goes. Yes, I know. And She's so, a woman. So. Yes. <laughs> You're outnumbered. I know. And so I was calling, and I was thinking, ah, oh, she's quiet about this. I hate to ask her. But that's the 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 pride that I have for your bravery and, and the insight and intelligence that you, the, the second I started talking to you about it, you just immediately knew the what we were trying to right. get at, which was not everybody has the support system and the, the, the background help and everything that you had. And you just instantly knew. You knew it already. And you, you already had insight to that. And it's just, you know, I don't know. You just, this, this well, podcast, meeting people and talking about these things just, well, just knowing it's an that you, honor. It's that you honor. can help somebody else. I mean, I don't know. I've just, I have been quiet about it, but there again, like I said, you always wait, and then sometimes, sometimes God sends you people. I was in Harvey's, and just a rare encounter with somebody at the checkout line, and I mean, she had just gone through it, and she, and you just happened to turn to her, and I kind of joked about how we needed um, self checkouts, and you don't have them at Harvey's, okay? So, but, you know, just, you know, just give her a little boost. And, and I, you know, that's actually what we've told other healthcare providers before. You know, you don't, you never, you don't know how you can impact somebody just with the little boost. Yeah. I mean, because I'm sure it did. And I know that you were very quiet about it, Patty, because I joked a minute ago when I said, you know, how many barrel races did you win? I wasn't joking, actually, because, <laughs> you know, all those times that you were out running me, I would have never known that you had gone through chemo a week or two before if I hadn't known through Mark, probably. 
And most people didn't know until the hair. And then, but, you know, a lot of people were just encouraging. Even at the horse show, they didn't, because I am kind of a standoffish kind of person, you know, a little bit. But they, you know, would walk up and say, you know, you just, you look really good. And I'm like, well, okay, thank you. I mean, you know, just <laughs> right. just little things. And that, that, once again, it's just giving that support to people. It it does help, I'm, I'm sure, and just validating or, you know, getting that validation that people care mm-hmm. what I'm going through. And I think that Miss Luce said it best when she said, your story certainly gives other women hope. I just, be positive. I mean, just, and like, you know, when I first, like you said, getting it done, and I really get, if you've never been screened, everybody needs a mammogram. That's right. We, all women need a mammogram. I don't care how you have to get it. If you don't have any insurance, find out how you can get it. Follow through with your mammograms because it saved my life. And if it, if I hadn't, because mine could have been a lot worse, but it saved my life. And that's one of the things that at the Pink House we do offer to help women with uh, screening mm-hmm. and mammograms. And right. um, if not through us, then through some of the programs that are available locally. Which is why that. it is so important that we donate to what yeah, they're yeah, doing yeah, because yeah. like you said it saved your life and there are women who do not have insurance who deserve that absolutely and i also want we mentioned about the younger women but we've also seen so many women in their 70s and 80s that um you know have been diagnosed and and uh and and mark you can address this because i have people ask me all the time well a lot of times the physicians will say you don't have to be screened after a a certain age but unfortunately you know we we have seen so many women in that age group and for them because they're on a fixed income and and those funds are really important to them um, because they don't have that extra money for gas you know and meals and, and overnight stays and I would like to stress and I don't it's not that I don't care what the recommendations say <laughs> but I, I, I do but you know the self breast exams yeah. or breast self exams are super important. Can't stress those enough. Yeah. You know, if you don't have insurance or if you're in that age gap where your doctor says, hey, you can go X number of years without a screen or whatever, still do those yeah. breast self-exams. Yeah. If you don't know how to do it, reach out. We'll be happy to give you pointers. But those are super important. Lots of women have found their own lumps that, that way. Absolutely. I, I would say the majority of women that I talk to, they found it themselves. And that's why it's important to Know your normal, know your body, know what know what it feels like and what it looks like. You know, look at yourself in the, the mirror, mirror and be familiar with it. Pick a date each month to make sure that you're checking yourself on that date. And, right. and, and you know, get and to me looking body. back now, I think I missed a few things. I think, I don't know if we really know. I, I didn't. I mean, we talk about and joke about, you know, your breath, you know, self-exam. Yeah. But looking back, I think there was a few things that I might have missed after I started reading signs and you go, well, gee, but there again, is your physician telling you and showing you or women getting educated as to actually, you know, do your, how to do your self exam. What are you feeling for? Instead, we just got a little brochure and. Well, and thank you for saying that because honestly, as a healthcare provider, I think that we need to hear things like that because I think that we take it for granted that everybody knows what a breast self-exam is and how to do it, when to do it, why it's important, the different signs. And I think it's easy for us to forget that it's not second nature to people. No, and like, 
we we get in a hurry. You know, the best place to do it, of course, probably use your bathtub, I guess, soap up, whatever. You know, but do whatever, whenever you do it, but do me some signs looking back and just reading some things that I probably should have noticed. And I have a feeling that you're not alone. Right. And I know in the past, and I'm, I'm not sure it's still true, but most of the tumors are found by you. The all cancer, the the biggest risk factor for getting cancer is staying alive. If you live long enough, you will eventually get yeah. some form yeah. of cancer. Yeah. So, and I know a lot of these screening things cut off at age 75. I don't know specifically about mammography, but, you know, I see 90-year-olds now that drive, you know, and live independently. Yes. So, an 85-year-old today may not be like an 85-year-old was 75. Yes, you know? that's right. And so, it may be that we need to individualize. Yes. Beyond a certain age, I'm not saying that the the screening recommendations are wrong. I'm just saying that medicine is an individual sport and that that's uh, interesting. you know it's between yeah. you and a doctor yeah and, I, I was at you... a, a church last week uh, um and um they were talking about it was the women's lunch and you know and that's and it was interesting because they were talking about that and and so many of them were saying well my doctor said stop at this age but then some of the rest of them they were all you know they were in that age group that we're talking about right now and they're like well no mine says if you have the money, you know, that go on and get a mammogram. Don't put it off, you know, so. I would like to stress to healthcare providers, err on the side of caution. Yeah, and, you know, I've had, and so, again, you're sitting at your doctor's office and you're an independent, functioning, working 82-year-old, which happens. Yeah, okay? it does. That's a different person than some 82 year Yes, and, yeah. And I'll never forget, I had a patient one time, I think she was five, and she was, what are you doing what are you about to do? Well, I got to go to the nursing home and help those old people. That's what she told me. You know, it was just, and she'd, just, and she'd just laugh about it, you know, and then she'd bop out the door, you know, running faster than I can run. You know? so well, my grandmother was rather young at 80. So. Yeah, all people are different. And so the I do think as a doctor, you have to individualize yes. your recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I appreciate this so much because I know last year um, I had several young women that were just at that age of when you could start getting a mammogram and they they told me they said that we i never had that done but i listened to um the the things that you're putting on the facebook into the facebook videos and i went and scheduled a mammogram awesome and so sometimes you don't know if anybody's listening because we keep saying the same thing over and over and over it but it's because so many people are not going and getting screened and getting their mammograms that's right. Well, and if you're listening, if you're not yet 40 and you do not have a family history of breast cancer, but you are you should still be doing yourself breast exams each month. And if you think you feel something abnormal, go to your doctor and talk to them. You cannot be too careful. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't, don't put it off. You know, go and have it seen about. And another thing I have people ask me sometimes, and, and you can probably help with this, both of you, they, they'll say, well, I, I felt something, something strange. You know, I don't really have a doctor. How do I go about getting a doctor? You know, any advice on that? Well, well, there are referral services uh -huh. that the hospital can provide lists and things like that. You can, you know, even just look it up, primary Obviously care. You know, I'm a big advocate of primary care physicians, family yeah. practitioners, yeah. general pediatricians, general internists. I think everybody needs a relationship with a with a primary care Absolutely. physician. And, yeah. and it may be with one of the nurse practitioners or PAs in the office, same difference. 
you know, but you need that core relationship, just like you have the relationship mm-hmm. with with your lady at the oncology mm-hmm. office, Tiffany, Tiffany that mm-hmm. you're such good friends with now, not just a patient, but also a friend. Right, and, and her she, mother had breast cancer, and I don't know if we just, I don't know, just kind of one of them things. And yeah, she Tiff- just. Yeah, she'll go to bat for you. Oh yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's it's really difficult yeah. to not go to bat for somebody that you've been dealing with for a long time. Well, and Mark, let me say, Patty is super important to us. You made the comment earlier. You said, you know, this was Patty. This was different. Patty, you are important to us. It, well, y'all it, are, y'all are good to me. It so I got Mark. But <laughs> let me let me just brag on you just a little bit for a second, Mark. I mean, I've I've seen you in action. You actually do have that same emotional reaction for every patient that you deal with. So. Give yourself some credit there. You really he does. Do. Because he, when I texted him, and I was actually having to do something else, but they had, y'all had had everything rolling between you and Tiffany. Y'all started this last thing rolling. And even with, because when I got breast cancer, and that's what, because a lot of people hear everything. You know, if you tell somebody, I might, you know, my daughter was going, oh, you need to go here, you need to go here, you need to go here, you need to do this, you need to do this. And I'm like, I questioned, I asked Mark, I said, they're telling me to go to, I think, Jacksonville or Emory or wherever. Mark's like, why do you want to go there when Dr. Jaw came from there? Why do you want to, you know, I was able to get, fortunately, he had the office here, but you got him in the right direction. Same way with the surgeon that day. You know, you told me the surgeon, he can do what we need to do. That's right. You know, we do live in a small town, and Mark has said numerous times, he's like, you know, do you think these specialists trained here in Douglas, well, or do you Mark, think they... I mean, he, you told me about Dr. Jaw. He says, he trained at those places, you know, and saved my life. Again, know your resources. Know your local resources. Use them. Use your local resources. And and we are fortunate in Douglas now that we do have, you know, an oncologist, right. Dr. Mm-hmm. Anderson, and... And many of the patients in Douglas were already going to him when he was in Valdosta, right. and they were so excited. And we also have um, the a chemo program, so that's that's one thing you're not having to we drive. Do. And thankfully, um, Dr. Jaw's not far away. Tiffany's not far right. away. Yeah, thankfully. yeah. Anything that's close is helpful. And mm-hmm. and uh, I, I know I had mentioned um, about the support group, but Coffee Regional is also starting um uh, oncology rehab program through the wellness center and um, that's going to be a wonderful program that as people finish up their treatments to help them get their strength back and you know get so they're feeling better and, and that and is awesome I mean anytime you've been sick you know I mean your stamina drops drastically I couldn't imagine mm-hmm. after going through chemo I mean most people are not out still barrel racing <laughs> <laughs> well it's just it, I, I really want to thank y'all both for being here. Thank it, y'all. The importance just ca- is is just Can't be immeasurable. Understated. It's just immeasurable. I mean, one in eight women. I mean, I want everybody to hear that. One in eight women have breast cancer. That's why I want everybody to donate. I want them to go to the Pink House. I want them to do what they can to help this cause. It's so important. Yes, and it and it's not about the pink flags or the pink bows. Um, it's about the people that they represent and that that we're honoring, and so just um, make a difference. You can. Well, and you're making a difference, and Patty, you're making a difference too. Even though you're quiet about it, <laughs> you you are making a difference in the example that you're setting, giving women hope. Yeah, be positive. Thank you. Thank, Thank y'all. You. 
Well, we really appreciate both Patty and Lou joining us. And I I thank you so much, Patty, for sharing your story with us. I know that it'll fill other women with the hope that they need to get through anything that they're battling at this point. But we want to do something a little different during this segment. Instead of doing the phone a friend that we usually do, we just kind of want to recap the statistics and the screening recommendations so that all of you can be aware of those. So, Mark, will you recap the statistics for our listeners Yes, I I do think that's important because this is such a gigantic problem. Remember, there's about 300,000 new cases of invasive breast cancer yearly in the United States of America. That's just a really, really big problem. And one in eight women over a lifetime will develop breast cancer. It's the second leading cause of cancer death in U.S. women. So, I mean, the the magnitude of this problem is, is... almost indescribable. You, If you practice any kind of medicine where you sick, see sick people, you will see breast cancer patients, either complications of therapy or new diagnoses, just anything. You will absolutely see this, not daily unless you're a, a cancer surgeon, but certainly weekly. Uh, it's just really a big problem. It is. And to put that into perspective for women, if you are sitting in a room with eight other women, chances are one of you will develop breast cancer at some point during your lifetime. Yes. And, but now, I mean, not to dwell on the bad stuff because we have made great strides. Remember that with localized breast cancer, we're now up to a 99% survival rate, five-year survival rate. And with regional disease, which meaning, meaning the axillary lymph nodes involved in things like that, um, other breast tissue, 86% five-year survival rate. Even with distant disease, 30% five-year survival rate. So it's a fight worth fighting is what I'm saying. It is. And one of the reasons that the statistics are what they are is because of early recognition. The earlier the recognition, the better chances of survival. Correct. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit now about the screening recommendations. Yes. Um, Before the recommendations, remember I said in the podcast that breast cancer screening does lower death rate by 26%. So screening does work, you know. And the, um, because it allows early detection and early detection leads to better outcome. And so the, the screening recommenda- recommendations changed this year, May of 2023. For average risk women, you start mammography at age 40. And depending upon the organization that's offering the recommendations, you then yearly or every other year do a mammogram and a clinical uh, breast exam. With the additional info being that if the woman is found to have dense breast tissue, that other modalities may need to be involved, such as MRI, ultrasound, 3D mammography. There's just a host of other things they can do to try and sort out some of these more complex cases that regular mammography does not allow the physicians, the radiologists, and the the breast surgeons and the gynecologists to uh, know exactly what's going on. So there are other things that they can do. And if you're listening and you're asking yourself, well, how do I know if I have dense breast tissue? Well, that's an excellent question. We're actually going to have some guests on the show coming up very soon that will help explain that. But my understanding is it will actually be reported on the mammogram results. And so your doctor will actually be able to know exactly what the density of your breast tissue is, correct? Yes. And it's reported by the radiologists that read the mammogram. And most groups now have double reading of mammograms. They have two doctors actually reading. I don't know if that's a rule or not, but I know a lot of places I've been, they've they've had that. So that's an additional step to try and not miss anything. The uh, now there um, um, there some of these groups have 
recommended dispensing with the clinical physical exam and self-exams as screening because it's statistically not been shown to improve survival. But they kind of parsed their words, and they both the American Cancer Society and ACOG, the, the Society of Obstetrics and Gynecology, have both said that breast self-exam is not recommended anymore, but they do recommend to have, quote, breast self-awareness, end quote. And so what that means is if you perceive a change, see a change, feel a change, whatever, you should immediately bring it to the attention of your healthcare provider. So, you know, it's kind of... I don't, that's kind of a, as a it's hard I, for me to understand the differential there. But yeah, I think as a woman, like I said earlier, it's not that I don't care about the screening recommendations because I most certainly do, but it's hard for me to advise women not to do the self breast exams. Um, in fact, I say you should still be starting them when you're 20 years old, at least know your body, look in the mirror, know what your body looks like, know what's normal for you. Um, the things that you should be looking for, look and make sure that they look the same. They're not always going to be the exact same size, but make sure that they look normal for your body. Make sure there's no swelling, no drainage, no obvious lumps, no inversion of your nipples. If you do notice something like that, don't panic. Just call and make an appointment with either your um, primary care provider or with your OBGYN and get in with them. Let them perform a clinical breast exam and get further recommendation from them. And, you know, some of the other recommendations, they say women age 75 and older no longer need mammography. But again, everyone is an individual, you know, being a physician, being a nurse practitioner, being a direct healthcare provider, it's it's one-on-one defense. It's not a zone defense. You know, I mean, you have to look at every person. I know 75 and 80-year-olds that drive and work in very high-stress jobs and are have never been sick a day in their life, you know, and that's a different person than somebody that's really got multi-organ disease and is much more likely to die of a stroke or a heart attack or um, something like that rather than breast cancer. So I again, I think it boils down to the woman and her doctor in deciding what's right for her. The other recommendations are ages 25 to 39. They do recommend clinical breast exams every one to three years. Um, and so it's it's kind of difficult to understand right now. Some organizations are saying yearly after age 40. Some are saying every other year. Some are saying no breast self-exam, but breast self-awareness. I think that some of this terminology becomes a little um, vague, shall we say, because if you look back, uh, about half of all breast cancers are found by the woman herself after age 50, and prior to age 50, more than 70%. So it's kind of hard to ignore the cognizance that a woman has about her own body. I think the primary take-home message is be aware. Be aware of your body and what's normal for you. Have that relationship established with a primary care provider and or an OBGYN. And we've talked about Dr. Goldberg on the show before. I love Dr. Goldberg myself. When you have a relationship with your doctor, your doctor will make recommendations for you. You know, he currently recommends that if you're 40, you get a mammogram every year. And so he's following the recommendations of one of the organizations that we've already talked about. And there may be other doctors who decide to follow the recommendation of the organization that says every two years, whatever your doctor says, you know, that's a that's a decision of it decision to be made between the two of you but the most important thing is that you are aware of your body and that you have that relationship established with your doctor so that y'all can be making the best decisions for you and your health and remember one in eight women over a lifetime no family 
no group of friends, no workplace, no church, no community organization will go untouched by this disease. It is absolutely critical that we take this seriously and we try to support these organizations that are raising awareness and I really appreciate our guest today. I do too. And for those of you listening, you can find more that we're doing at markedmedicine.com. You can also go to our website. You can find some information about how to perform a self breast exam, when you should be performing it and how often. Um, You can also click on the Ask Dr. Mark tab. You can submit questions if you would like to have Mark answer a question or if you have a story you'd like to tell or something that you're super passionate about that you would like to share with listeners, then we'd love to hear from you. And thank you all so much for listening. We hope that you join us next week.